So the big news of this week uh, was the inauguration of uh, President Joe Biden as the 46th President of the United States. And for some people, they would uh, herald this as great news. Others would view this as bad news. And I would imagine that probably most of us are ready for some other news. Amen? Uh, and so the question that I want us to consider this morning is, regardless of your political affiliation, is how do we keep the big news, the big news of the day, from overshadowing the good news of Jesus Christ? That's the question before us today. How do we keep the big news of the day from overshadowing the good news of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 13 is where we find ourselves. And I've titled our second half, our study of the second half of the book of Acts, uh, Mission 1-8, based on Acts chapter 1-8. And calling this going and growing, where the church is, is going and they're taking the gospel to the world around and God is allowing the church to grow. Uh, we saw last Sunday, the first part of chapter 13, that the church in Antioch was led by the Holy Spirit to send out Paul and Barnabas in that first step of taking the gospel to the farthest corners of the earth. And we saw last Sunday they went, they left um, Antioch, Syria. They crossed the Mediterranean Sea. They went to an island called Cyprus, known as Happy Isle. And they started with the gospel there, the home of Barnabas. And today they are going to again cross the Mediterranean Sea. They're going to go north this time. And they're going to go into the region of what the Bible calls Galatia. We better know Galatia as modern day Turkey. And this is the home of the Apostle Paul. And so here we see Paul and Barnabas stuffing Turkey with the gospel. You guys can figure that out at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. That'll make sense. But once we get into God's word this morning, we take a look at what the scriptures have to say. We're going to find out very quickly here this morning that things did not start out very well in Turkey. Things did not start out very well. But what we find is Paul and Barnabas, they remained undaunted, undeterred in their commitment to proclaim freedom and forgiveness through Jesus the Savior. They remained undaunted and deterred in their commitment to proclaim freedom and forgiveness through Jesus the Savior. The key verse of our text this morning is going to be found in verses 32 and the first part of verse 33. Uh, I think we have that verse. Yeah, there we go. It's up on the screen. We tell you, Paul writes, or Paul speaks, we tell you the good news. We're bringing you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And that word good news is the word there that's for the gospel. We're telling you, we're bringing to you the gospel. The good news that God has raised Jesus from the dead. What we just sang about. And so the question today is how do we keep the big news of the day from overshadowing the good news that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And through him there is both forgiveness and freedom from sin. The remainder of Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 13 down to the end of the chapter, we can divide this, this chapter into three parts. The first three verses, verses 13, 14, and 15, they give to us the setting. Beginning in verse 16 all the way down to verse 41, we have Paul's sermon. And so we're going to pretend we're in seminary class today and we're going to homiletics class and we're going to look at his sermon mechanically. Doesn't that excite you? <laughs> We have one preacher in the back. 
We're not going to look at it academically. We're going to consider what God has to say through this sermon. It's a wonderful story of the gospel. And then we're going to take a look at the last uh, 11 verses, verses 42 to 52. They give to us the verdict, the decision, the decision that has to be made regarding the gospel. And so let's take a look here this morning. I've called uh, basically kind of the heading for today's message is good news for our neighbors and the nations. What is the good news for our neighbors and the nations? Let's begin the setting. The setting, we find ourselves in the synagogue of Antioch of Poseidon. In the synagogue of Antioch Poseidon. Um, let's read uh, God's word before we get to the map there. And we'll, we'll take a look at the map here in a second. Verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions, that is uh, Barnabas and John Mark, they sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And from Perga, uh, from Perga, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation for us, please speak. Well, let's take a look at where we find ourselves here. Uh, we, we, we're in the Mediterranean Sea. Let's take a look at that map there. And you can see the island of Cyprus uh, off to the right, kind of where it, it kind of curves up around that band. If you go down the band, down south that band, we can't see it there. That's Antioch um, of Syria. And that's where uh, Barnabas and Paul and John Mark left. And they, they went to Cyprus and they started there at Salmis and they journeyed across that island, systematically going from synagogue to synagogue, proclaiming the gospel we saw last Sunday. That as far as we know, there were no converts made on Cyprus. There's none recorded. There may have been converts, we don't know, until they got to the city of Paphos, the, the capital city of the island of Cyprus, and there um, God opened up the heart of the governor named Sergius Paulus, and Sergius Paulus believed on the gospel, and from there, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, they, they went north across the Mediterranean Sea, and they got to the southern edge of Turkey, Galatia, and they landed in the city of Perga, and there they started. But things didn't go well for them in Perga. Here's these servants of God, and they find themselves in a difficult place, in a difficult strait. If we're going to put our Bibles together, um, let me just kind of just take a, give you a note here. If we're going to put our Bibles together, the book of Galatians. So you got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians is the letter that Paul is going to write in the future to the churches that are evangelized here in Acts chapter 13 and 14, right? So where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 13 and 14, sometime later, Paul's going to write the letter of Galatians to these churches. But here in Perga, things aren't starting out well. John Mark leaves. He leaves the mission team, and he heads back to Jerusalem. Some, we don't know why. A lot of speculations, a lot of different reasons. Maybe the the uh, disappointment in Cyprus, not enough, no, uh, you know, not very much fruit. Maybe the difficulty, maybe homesickness. We don't know why John Mark left. We just know that he left. Uh, verse fourteen tells us that, or verse thirteen tells us that he went back to Jerusalem. And while they were there in Perga, it is assumed that Paul became sick. 
We know when he would write to the Galatians in chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, he wrote about that sickness that he encountered when he landed in Turkey. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, we read these words. Surely you remember that I was sick when I brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. I'm sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if that had been possible. And many believe that while Paul was in Perga, it was here that he contracted, it's speculation again, that he contracted mal malaria, which, uh, forced, uh, which affected his eyes and forced them into that interior. And so Paul and Barnabas took the road north from Perga and they went through the mountain range and they came to Antioch of Poseidon. A treacherous mountain range through the Taurus Mountains. It was known to be a haven for robbers and bandits. And Paul and Barnabas were undeterred to take the gospel to people who needed to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's think about this for a moment, this setting. What stops us? What stops you? What stops me? from taking the gospel, not necessarily to the nations across the seas, but to my neighbors across the street. Have you thought about that? What stops us? Busyness? Fear? I don't know how to answer their questions. And all the while, people are Passing from this life to the next. As just this week, we, you know, the two members from our own church, uh, one was expected, one was unexpected. But passed from this life to the next. They've gone to heaven, to et uh, their eternal home and with Christ. But how many thousands of people are passing every day from this life to the next without Christ? And for many of us, we're silent. What stops us? Paul and Barnabas remained undeterred despite their difficulties, despite their circumstances. They pressed on knowing that the gospel needed to be shared with people. And so Luke moves from the, the setting, the location and the circumstances to the good news, to the gospel itself. In verse 15, we read that they arrived in in Poseidon, Antioch, they went to the synagogue, and it was a typical synagogue. There, the services, what happened there was there, the prayers were offered, the scriptures were read. The ruler of the synagogue then asked Paul and Barnabas if they had a word of exhortation. And so verse 16, we read, starting in verse 16, we read of the good news that Paul brought to the city of um, Antioch in Poseidon. And the good news can be summarized in four words, really two words repeated. The gospel is only Jesus, Jesus only. 
And we're going to see this as Paul works through this passage of Scripture. And it's wonderful. And I want this to be an encouragement to you. And then I also want this to be a tool for us that we could begin to share Christ confidently and boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. If someone were to ask you, um, the, what is the gospel? How would you describe it? How would you answer that? What would you be your response to that question? What is the gospel? Well, let me, let me give to you uh, the four key components of the gospel, and then we're gonna, I want us to look at these as, they work, as Paul works through these in this sermon. The four key components of the gospel are God, fall or sin, Jesus, response. The gospel begins with God. The gospel is what God provides. It originates with Him. And the reason for the gospel is the fall or our sinfulness. You realize that all of the issues of this world, all of the, the broken places, the, the, the heartaches, the troubles, the, everything that is wrong with this world stems back to this three-letter word called sin. And so Jesus Christ is the answer for our problems, for the issues that stem, that spring forth from the sin that is in the heart of every person. But the gospel requires a response. It's a faith response. And so as we journey through this sermon, I want us to look for these four words. Who does the gospel begin with? God. Why is the gospel necessary? Sin. What is the answer for sin's problem? And what is, the, what is required in the response? We must respond, a faith response to uh, the gospel. Let's take a look at this here. Uh, all sermon here can be divided into uh, three parts. Uh, it's, it's a good sermon, right? It has three parts and he has a poem and every part starts with the same letter. You're going to like this. I'm just kidding about the last part. There is no poem, but it does have three parts, all right? Here we go. And you don't have to have three parts to the sermon. We just, preachers, we just like threes. I don't know why. All right, here we go. His first point, his first point is that Jesus is the culmination of history. This is where Paul begins. He starts and he shows that Jesus Christ is the culmination of history. Remember where he's at. He's in the synagogue. And he's going to address them, the, the audience there in verse 16. Let's take a look at verse 16. Where am I at? Uh, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Paul here begins, and he, had, he recognizes who's there. He's speaking to Jews and those who are God-fearing Gentiles. Those who have yet to believe on Jesus Christ, but they're following the Old Testament uh, way of worshiping the true God. And he says to him, he says, listen to me. He says, Pay attention. Don't drift off. Don't start doodling. Listen. This is urgent. There's something about the gospel that we need to pay attention to. And starting in verse 17, down through verse 26, uh, verse 26, verse 23. Down through verse 23, uh, Paul covers about a thousand years of Israel's history. Let's read God's word here. and I just want you to see this here. Notice where he starts. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors 
He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. For about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to the people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Let's just stop here and let's just take a look. And we're just going to survey these, th these verses here. But, but he begins with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he goes all the way through King David, 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel. And over those thousand years, he covers, uh, over that thousand year period, he covers the, the, the mountain points of Israel's history. God chose the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he delivered their descendants out of Egypt uh, over a 450-year period. He walked with them as they rebelled against him in the wilderness. He cared for them in the wilderness. He destroyed the seven nations that were in the land of Canaan, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. He distributed the land to them through Joshua. He raised up judges. He gave them King Saul. And then he raised up King David. And beginning in verse 24, and what is Paul doing? Paul is just establishing the gospel. Where does he start? Who do you start with? God, right? And Jesus, the Savior, he's implying that there's something wrong with this world. And he's getting to the fallen condition and why we need a Savior. And beginning in verse 24 down through verse 37, he is the weight of of the gospel rests on the person of Jesus. And beginning in verse 24, he showed how, began to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And notice what he does. Verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his work, as John's work was coming to an end, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one that you're looking for. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And so he just reminds him that John's, John the Baptist ministry was pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 27. He shows, verses 26 and 27, he shows that, uh, that Jesus, he, he begins by, by focusing on the rejection of Jesus. And he shows how Jesus was rejected in accordance to the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. They did not know that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Yet in condemning him, that is, in sentencing him to death on a cross, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And so he starts with the rejection of Jesus, that Jesus came to his own, but he was rejected in fulfillment with 
the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament, verse 29, he focuses on the crucifixion. Notice what he says. And when they carried out all that was written about him, again, pointing to the Old Testament, they took him down from the cross, they laid him in a tomb, that this one who came to his own was rejected and was put to death as part of God's plan. Verse 30, he looks, he goes to the resurrection. Look what he says. But God raised him from the dead. And here is the crux of the Christian faith, that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 30, verse 33, verse 37, Paul is going to keep coming back that the Savior of the world didn't just die on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. Oh, how people need to know about the song that we just sang, that Jesus Christ is forever alive. He has been raised. It is because of the resurrection that there is salvation. Now you think about, we don't have time to take a look at all this, but the importance of the resurrection, right? The resurrection assures us that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners, that Jesus' death was not in vain. Romans chapter 5. Let's practice our amen. amen. There you go. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you another chance. All right? It is the resurrection that gives power to change our lives. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in those who have believed on him. Amen. There we go. Much better. It is the resurrection that gives power to face the circumstances of life in this fallen world. As I preached a couple weeks ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the things of this, the troubles of this world have taught us what? They have taught us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on Him who raises the dead. All right, we're getting there. That was a little bit weak. I'll give you one more chance. It is the resurrection that guarantees our resurrection. After we have died, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've got to work on this. Brothers and sisters, you see the importance of the gospel? It is the death, the burial, the resurrection, that, and it's the resurrection that confirms salvation. You think of the families this week are going to be burying their loved ones on Friday and, uh, Thursday and Friday. What is the hope for them? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We know that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we too who have believed on, Je on the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns from heaven with the trumpet sound, we who have died will be uh, caught up, uh, will, will be raised, those who have died will be raised, and we who are alive will be caught up with them together to be with the Lord forever in heaven. This is our confession. This is the gospel. You say, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus was raised from the dead? How do we know that this gospel is true? Look at verse 31. Uh, God is, verse 30, but God has raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Those apostles, right? Beginning in Acts chapter 1. Remember the, those apostles they, they were witnesses to the resurrection. Those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. They, they witnessed, they, they walked with Jesus, they, they heard him teach, they, they ate with Jesus. And they took the gospel. Matthew to Africa, uh, Simon the Zealot to Persia, Peter to Rome. 
uh, uh, Philip to India. Uh, or the gospel went forth. These, 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 these 11 disciples and the Matthias, the 12th, who took Judas's place and now Paul, were committed to taking the gospel to the farthest regions of the world, all of them dying a, a martyr's death except for John. Why? Because of the resurrection. It makes all the difference. Verse 32, verse 33. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children. How? By raising Jesus from the dead. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. Beginning in verse 33, down through verse 36 or 37, he gives three prophetic fulfillments. Psalm chapter 2, uh, verse 7, verse 34. Uh, God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you um, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't write it down in my notes, but I think that's correct. And so as it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Paul is just establishing the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of prophecy. He was res his resurrection was witnessed. And now he's citing the scriptures to say this is how we know the gospel is true. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors. And his body decayed. But the one, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. <laughs> Paul is building. You can kind of feel it, don't you? You kind of wish we were in that service at that synagogue that day. And he calls for a response. And he gives the invitation. And here's his invitation, verses 38 to 41. And his invitation is this, is that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. That's all of us. We're all sinners. Every one of us here today, we need a Savior. I, I don't care how good you've been. I don't, know how, I don't care how long you've been in church. I'm glad you're here this Sunday. But listen, your church attendance is not going to save you. Only Jesus. Jesus only. Look at his response. And I want you to catch this. We've got to, we have to drill down here. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, and I want you to notice what's through Jesus, through Jesus, the what? The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Oh, do you hear the heart? Take care that what the prophets said doesn't happen to you. Here's his plea. Here's his urgent plea. Look, you scoffers. He's quoting from Habakkuk. You, look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Let's consider this. Paul says, everyone who believes is set. Oh, let me, I'll just jump down my notes. Let me hop back up here. <clears throat> Through Jesus, 
There is forgiveness and freedom. Now think about those two words, forgiveness and freedom. Forgiveness. Every sin has been paid for. Every sin has been covered. Every sin has been atoned. Now listen, what was true in Turkey 2,000 years ago is true in Saginaw in 2021. That your sin, my sin, their sins needed to be atoned, but it can only be atoned by one person. Forgiveness is only through Jesus Christ. Now think about this. This is the gospel. The sins of your past, all the things that you know. The sins of today. And think about the sins of tomorrow. There are sins that you and I don't even know what we're going to commit. We sometimes sit maybe in our chairs of self-righteousness and we think, well, I would never do that. Oh, we have no clue. And even those sins that we don't even know what we will yet commit are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Now think about this. You owe nothing. You're free. There are no liens against your life. There are no skeletons in your closet that are going to surprise the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows everything about you. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows your worst imagination. He knows your infidelity. He knows the abortion. He knows the abuse. He knows the one thing that you can't forgive yourself about. He knows it all and he has already forgiven it if you have responded to him by faith. Paid for, forgiven by Jesus. Forgiveness, but you notice what else he says? And Verse 39, through him everyone who believes is set free. There is a freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Now that word freedom, I don't know why. Uh, the, the NIV takes uh, that word, it says through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification. The word free and justification are the same word in the English language. Some Bible translations uh, say, uh, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a freedom you're not able to obtain. Why the translators of the Bible use the word freedom instead of justification, I don't know. But let me explain to you the word justification. The Bible says that apart from Jesus Christ, you and I can never obtain a, a justification by the law of Moses. That, that word justification... Um, is, the, is a legal word that comes to us from the courtroom. To be freed from sin is to be justified in the sight of God. To be freed from sin is more than being acquitted of the things that we have done wrong. To be freed from sin is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. Here's the great exchange. All the things that I, I have done, all the things that you have done, all the sin, the unrighteousness, God takes all of that and he charges it to the account of Jesus Christ. And he puts on top of me, and puts on top of you, those who have believed in Jesus Christ, all of the perfections of Jesus. You have been set free. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> oh. Keeping the law observing the sacrifices as these in the synagogue were trying to do could never bring them freedom. 
You and I trying to be good, showing up at church, being better than some, will never give us freedom. Notice what he says. I mean, this is what Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, struggled with. How could anyone be made righteous before God? It's the gospel. Did you catch that key word there? Verse 39. Through him, through Jesus, everyone who, what? Believes. Is set free, is justified. Is forgiven and is freed. Everyone who believes. Now listen, the gospel is only effective when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not enough for you and I to know the gospel. It's not enough for you and I to be able to walk down the Romans road and and tell people about their sin and God's love and and how Jesus Christ uh, demonstrated God's love for us. He died for us and you and I. It's not enough for us to walk down that Romans road. You and I must respond to the gospel by believing. And so Paul drives home that point in verse 40 and 41 when he says, take care, brothers, that what the prophet said doesn't happen to you. And he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse, I think it's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, um, uh, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your midst that even if you would, even, that you would never believe even if someone told you. He's saying this, he says, listen, it's not enough for you to know the gospel. God is doing something great, so something so wonderful, so marvelous in your midst. Don't just know it, respond to it by faith. Don't hear it and walk away being indifferent, being indifferent to it. And he calls for a decision. And so notice, beginning in verse 42, to the end of the chapter, the verdict. And the verdict is this, is that no one can remain indifferent to the gospel. No one can remain indifferent to the gospel. The chapter concludes and tells us how the people responded to the gospel. You either believe it and embrace it or you ultimately you reject it. There's no neutral position. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. The gospel is unnecessary. It's a mockery. It's a scam. It's stupidity. It's ridiculousness. It's the crutch of weak-minded people. It's the gospels for those who cling to their God, their guns, and their Bibles. It's the opiate of the masses. That's the response of the world to the gospel. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And you read these final verses, uh, we find this, that some rejected, some believed, and the word of the Lord spread. I'm running out of time. Let me just focus on a couple verses, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas, uh, uh, they went back to the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue the next Sabbath, and they were speaking, and the 
and uh, um, uh, the, the, the Jews saw the crowd, they, began, they were filled with jealousy, they began to contradict Paul, they began to, to argue with them, and, 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 Paul answered, and Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it, and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Since you reject it, uh, the English Standard Version uses the word, since you have thrust it out, since you have imagined this being the verbal uh, message, this, this book, since you have thrust it, thrown it on the ground, want nothing to do with the gospel, we're taking the gospel to the Gentiles. We're committed to the gospel regardless of your response. Some rejected. Others believed. Um, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So there's a lot there in those verses. Those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. This is what we want. We want to take the gospel to the farthest ends of the world. And we need to start with our neighbors across the street. Our neighbors need Jesus Christ as much as the nations around the world. Let's start here and go there. <clears throat> Verse 50. But the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of the high standing and the leading men of the city. And they, look what it says, they incited uh, verse, at the middle of the verse, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they expelled them. They, they drove them out from their region. They, they, they were so incensed by the gospel, they wanted nothing to do with it. They, they drove them out. And so Paul and Barnabas, they packed it up and went home. Right? <laughs> verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to on to Iconium. Undeterred, undaunted, they carried the gospel to the next city, next up. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Driven out of Antioch, some of you know what that's like. You've been driven out of your home because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. You've been mocked in your workplace. You've been ostracized in your classrooms. Your neighbors look at you differently. There's a pay to price. There's a price to pay to follow Jesus Christ and to be committed to the gospel. Undaunted, undeterred, Paul went on. Barnabas went on. You and I, we have the same opportunity to carry that gospel, Jesus only, only Jesus to the world. So, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, we need to get ready. We can get swept up and caught up in all of the changes and all the challenges that are going to be coming our way as Christians. Or, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can center our lives and we can build our lives on the good news. Jesus only, only Jesus. 
And so let me encourage you. Paul and Barnabas, undeterred, undaunted. Things didn't go well in Turkey, but they pressed on. Who knows what the future holds? But I do know this, whatever the future holds, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with joy, surrounded together as God's people, we can press on carrying the gospel. And that's my call, that's my plea to us, is that we would be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ in carrying this gospel. Here's the final thought. There's other things I wanted to share, but let me just, final thought here is this. Uh, through Jesus, there is good news for our neighbors and the nations. Amen? Through Jesus, same gospel. Gospel's not in quarantine. Gospel's not masked up. The question is this, what will we do with this good news? What will we do with this good news? Listen, I would be remiss if I would preach Paul's sermon and not ask you, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have not believed, I'm asking you today, There is no freedom and there is no forgiveness apart from Jesus. Turn to him today, believe on him. Those of us here who have believed, and that would, the vast majority of us here, one, one request, would you ask the Lord this morning, Lord, in the next seven days, would you grant me the opportunity to share the good news with one person? Let's just start carrying this gospel to our neighbors across the street, to our colleagues across the hall, to our desk mates beside us in the classroom. Let's take the gospel to the nations.